Disclaimer, this content is meant for information only and not as a diagnosis or medical treatment for any condition. If you or a loved one needs help, please seek out a qualified medical professional for assistance. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Katie Oshta, BSN, RN, IBCLC, and infant feeding specialist. Quench your thirst for knowledge and travel with me across the nation to discover, learn, collaborate, and better serve clients from all over the globe. Let's ride and thrive together. Today on the podcast, we have Mikhail Fleming, a board-certified lactation consultant, massage therapist, and integrative health coach. Transitioning from a traditional office to a traveling business, Mikhail and her family traveled all over Georgia and Florida, helping families with clinical lactation and structural integration. Recently settling in Atlanta, Mikhail continues to support families in a unique way through body work, family wellness, and infant feeding. She is a mom of two boys, and their breastfeeding journey created a compassionate foundation for her lactation career. Please welcome Mikhail. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today, Mikhail. I'm so excited to talk to you. I was really excited to hear that there was somebody else doing this and traveling and working still. So I just really had to reach out and meet you. And then the more I learned about you, the more I knew that we had to chat. So can you tell me how you kind of got started getting on the road? Yeah, sure. So I'll give you a little bit of like beginning to end because it's a bit of an interesting story. I had actually been doing massage therapy for about 13 years and I got to a point where I really wanted to try something new. And I got into lactation and I was really more interested in doing like local home visits, office visits, things like that. So initially in my lactation career, I did my clinical hours at a hospital. I had a fantastic mentor who was like super, super supportive. And funny enough, my thought process of, you know, kind of moving from massage therapy into lactation did not pan out. It actually merged together because... I got there and every baby that we saw was just like this tight bundle of tension. And thankfully my mentor was like, you know what, like, let's just, let's start working on babies. Let's start doing everything and let's see what we can do. So that was kind of where my business was born as a merger. And initially I had an office and that's what I did in my office as I saw babies for lactation purposes, maternal wellness for like health coaching and doing body work for babies in office. And where we originally are from, it's very small. It's a very small town and it is not as breastfeeding friendly as most other areas of the country can be. So it was a, is a humongous effort and work in progress to really start to turn the tide in my, um, in my hometown and start to encourage more providers to be more uh, breastfeeding friendly and to really start to get more of a community sense for the families that were there. And I did it for three years. And I I have such an appreciation for that time because I learned so much and I really was able to marry the the two parts of my career so, so much better than I could have imagined trying to do that, you know, jumping straight into traveling. But it got to a point where I realized that there was so much need for adequate and helpful body work in so many places. And there's just, you know, there's always a bit of a restriction when you're in a smaller area and a lesser 
a lesser supportive area for breastfeeding that there's only so many things that you can do and so many people that you can see per week. And we just got to a point where, especially once we were able to do a little bit more post COVID is, you know, wouldn't it be nice to just get up and go and to go see these families who are contacting us that need support and there's just nobody near them. They have nobody. And I think at the same time, everyone was really starting to understand how important body work was for anyone who had functional issues when it came to, you know, suck, swallow, breathe, any of the myofunctional issues that are now being much more aware of. And so that's what we chose to do is we chose to sell the house, (laughs) close the office. I mean, we really did just kind of like an overall purge. We sold our stuff. We got our kids on board. I was already a homeschooling mom. So that transition wasn't difficult at all. My kids were like, yeah, sure. We'll just go ride around and go enjoy and see the world. That's fine, mom. <laughs> so we, we did that and we got a, um, we got a, a trailer and a truck and put all our crap in it and, and we went. So that was my like starter portion of my career is, is I really kind of learn the difference of being like stationary and what I could do and then kind of evolving my business into something where I could go see anybody I wanted to. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I think the idea of being able to travel and reach families everywhere is so great. And it's, I always find it really interesting because I see clients all over the country at the amount of, I would call them like little medical resource deserts. I mean, they're There are places like, you know, I've had clients in Arkansas and Montana that were, you know, a good couple of hours from a decent sized city and we couldn't find any any pediatric body workers at all. And then I've had clients in major metropolitan areas in San Francisco Bay Area and on Long Island, and we still struggle to find adequate pediatric body work. So it's a really interesting dichotomy that regardless of population size, some areas just really don't have a prevalence of body workers and others do. Yeah, definitely true. And I think too, like, because the field of, you know, and even like the word body work, like, what does that even mean? Like a lot of people would be like, I'm okay, I need body work to go do this. So what is that? I think it's just so constantly evolving at this point. And, you know, traditionally, massage therapists were kind of like the forefront of that. And then we have a lot of different modalities that are being added in now. You know, CST has been around for a long time, uh, which is craniosacral therapy. And now we have craniosacral fascial therapy, which is becoming more a popular option because it's one of those where you're not necessarily required to be licensed to do it. So we've kind of added that onto the docket. And then, you know, there's always been our, our chiropractors, our osteopathic doctors, our DOs, Mm-hmm. that all of those things are kind of wrapped into bodywork, PT, OT, um, even SLPs now with, you know, myofunctional therapy. It's such a it's such a big pool of people. And it can be really difficult as a parent to discern like what of those people will be most beneficial for my situation. Absolutely. And that's why when I'm working with a client, no matter where they are, I don't say, you should get maybe some body work and I'll see you in a few weeks. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we talk a lot about what what are they comfortable with. I explain the different types of body work. I have some clients who are still just really nervous about chiropractic and then we find something else. You know, I have some clients who are open to anything and then it just depends upon, you know, I always tell them the best the best type is the most experienced provider we can find in your area. And that's yeah, really, really what it comes down to for me. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's it's definitely one of those situations where you want to be confident in the person you're working with, not necessarily the most like known modality or the most like trending modality. And then I find it interesting, especially as you know, being a traveling provider as you and I are, is that you're trying to then almost like concierge build a team in the areas that they are in. You really start to learn like what areas do have a lack or a desert of providers and then other areas that are almost like flush with them. And I found that to be like an interesting challenge when, you know, because I mean, we travel mostly in Florida and Georgia. That's where my massage licenses are. So I always stayed within those confines. But even, you know, the few virtuals that I did, like trying to then like, you know, build this team for this, this family, because otherwise then they're at the mercy of like trying to figure it out themselves was very, very enlightening to see which areas needed support and which, you know, were like almost overwhelmed with support and you weren't really sure, is this going to be a a good choice for you or not? Absolutely. I mean, a lot of my clients, since I was previously in the San Francisco Bay Area, still come from there. And I will say that in an area that has, I mean, think the Northern California immediate San Francisco Bay Area has more than, you know, 20 million people in it or 15 million people. There's one release provider that does about 95% 95% of the releases. There's a few ENTs that do really poor ones that he repeats, but primarily it's him. He only sees babies under seven months. No one is addressing any children or adults in Northern California. And there's very limited body work that's really wonderful. There's a few here and there, but it's very sparse. And then currently I'm in the Tampa Bay region of Florida where my daughters had their releases in April. And I just had mine last week and there are quite a few. I mean, there's like one, two, three, four. I can think of four really, really wonderful dentists in this immediate area that are doing releases on children and adults that there's multiple body workers that are really wonderful. There's quite a few myofascial release therapists. There's quite a few great pediatric chiropractors. There's there's a couple of osteopaths. There's a really, it's a really rich area in the Tampa Bay region for yep. really excellent support. Yes, and I, find I never so really went to South Florida for a reason. <laughs> right? Like I find it so interesting that there's some areas that are really, really dense and you've got so many. And then other areas where you just, it's like you can't get a foothold in the Bay Area. I mean, we really do need, they could use another release provider, especially someone who would see children and adults could use some myofascial release in the San Francisco Bay Area. There's just, there's so little. And yes, it's shocking. I could say the same thing about Long Island because I've had quite a few clients on Long Island in the last six months. And it is a big challenge finding any really great team members up there. Yeah. And I mean, it's funny too, because even in Florida, like I very rarely had to go to Southwest Florida, but then Southeast Florida, we went several times because there it's almost like, you know, the same, same concept mm-hmm. as a bit deserty there for for providers in any capacity. So it is it is wild the the division that happens. And then you know thinking about like as this has evolved and this field has become more understood and more you know aware of the importance is that there are a lot of older kids who need these things and they need them in a, even more of a capacity than infants do because if you you know think about muscle memory and you think about structure infants are just like clay. You can honestly work on an infant maybe two or three times and they are good to go. Like they do not have this 
very extensive built up muscle memory of things that you need to then unravel, unwind, like get back to a good baseline. Whereas an older child, they have lived with their compensating behaviors. They have obviously taxed other muscles and other structure that wasn't built for this job that, you know, they can't do. And so that, that process even takes longer. So I think the concept of knowing that your therapist, your body worker knows what your body needs and not just a checklist of, okay, well, we, we did this many sessions to get you this much progress and now you're good to go. That's such a disservice that I see happen so many times is that we're working on this schedule or we're working on this checklist, like the provider needs to be able to get to them by this amount of time. Like, so you have this many sessions to do something with them and then they're ready to go. And it's just not true. I mean, I've had, I had babies who had, you know, maybe one session that they really needed before they were good. And then they've had maybe five sessions when they were good. And it really, you just have to have that the person who's working with you is listening with you and helping you to understand is your body and your your mental health in a good place to do this procedure and then to continue on your, you know, your functional journey. Yes, I I tell parents, too, when we're talking about timing of release, that we're not just going to sit here and wait until some magical date, right? Like, we're doing things, we're improving every week, and that it's really important that we find the right time when everybody is prepared, you know? And I'll tell them it's not just the baby. It's not just as the baby's oral function there or is the baby's body relaxed, right? Do Have we released that tension? Do we have more equal bilateral symmetrical movements, all of that. But no, it's also how are the parents? How's mom's milk supply? How's her mental health? Are they prepped and ready for active wound care? Do they understand what they're getting into? Like all of that. And I think that's one of the biggest problems that happens when people are unfortunately crowdsourcing their healthcare and trying to figure out what's going on and they're not able to. And so they you know, they reach out to parents, they go on Facebook and Google, and they try to figure it out. And then they find it, you know, maybe it's tongue tied. So they go to a release provider. And when they get released without any prep work, I think one of the biggest things, obviously, the release itself doesn't work as well because of the body tension and lack of preparation. But the parents that I see afterwards, they are just like, so shell shocked, and really hurt. Like, it was such a traumatic experience for them. Yeah, you know? and, I mean, and it's going to be difficult when the the either party is not ready. And I mean, I can I can tell you, there's you know a business in Atlanta here that they have on the outside looking in, they have everything that you would want. They have your PT, your OT, your SLP, your LMT, your release provider. Like they do everything in house. But what they don't do is they do not actually pay any attention to the parents or the mom. And they have everything is hyper-focused on the infant. Is the infant ready? Can they do this? Can the topper do this? And no part of the attention is built into like, is the family dynamic even stable enough to manage this? Because let's be very clear. There are no emergency for nectomy. It's just not. Thank you. It it (laughs) does not exist. And I feel like, I'm like, why is everyone acting like, this is such an emergency. I mean, I talked to a release provider the other day and they were like, yeah, I always keep, you know, Monday mornings, my first two slots for those emergency ones from the weekend. I'm like, there's no emergency tongue tie release. That's not a there's thing. Not. 
No, there's not. And any infant who can't feed in any method doesn't need a release. They need a skilled IV steel seat to help put hands on and understand if there are other things at play. And I mean, that that goes for the same across the board when it comes to infant feeding is that that's kind of your like, you know, as Jen likes to say, that's your quarterback, you know. So this is where we see a lot of like negative feedback coming in for phrenectomies or phrenoplasties or however you spin it is that there's just a bunch of kids going through this procedure that were not prepared for it in the first place. And then you have like this other party where it's like, oh, it's not necessary at all because it doesn't do any good when you do it anyway, or you have to do all this other expenditure to even be able to do so. And I find it to be like just a messy place because of of that process in general, like the do no harm has not been abided by. And now we have the outlook that the phrenectomy in itself is bad. And it's, it's genuinely, yes, it is a surgery. It is a procedure, but it's a procedure that when it's prepared for, it can be so short and so easily bounced back from. The body just has to be ready and the caretakers have to be ready. And I think it's really unfortunate that one of the things that I was talking about with Jen and with Avery recently is that there's so many people jumping on this oral function bandwagon. I mean, you know, even with that other practice, you mentioned that having all those, you know, PT, OT, SLP, the problem with this is those people are not focused on the dyad. They don't see the dyad. They're looking at oral function. They're focused on, you know, how can this baby eat with a bottle? How can we make its tongue do all these wonderful tricks? And oral function is important. I'm not saying it doesn't matter at all, but it's not the only thing. And it's certainly not the most important thing. And I've seen too many families that have lost the breastfeeding relationship they had to oral function, basically, to going and getting a release when they weren't prepared and they weren't supported. And they were brought in with bottles then to feed the baby. And before you know it, they've completely lost the breastfeeding relationship. And I'm like, how did that serve that family at all? How did that? Well, it gets, that? Yeah, it gets hyper-focused on nutrition and we lose like the actual like overall puzzle of what a breastfeeding relationship gives to a parent and to the baby. And when it becomes so, so much just about trading food instead of trading like bonding and hormonal care for both and just overall diet wellness and that, that whole piece is so pivotal to maintaining the nutrition part, it, it gets lost. It absolutely does. And it's really an unfortunate thing. I mean, it's, I wish it was a lot less common than it is, but it's not uncommon for me to get a call. I, you know, probably get two or three a month from the Bay Area too, especially where they went into the release unprepared, you know, crowdsourced their what was wrong, went in unprepared, had the release, the provider told them it would fix everything. A month later, nothing is better. Now the baby is more dependent on bottles or completely non-breastfeeding. And the provider tells them, well, I guess you can call an NBCLC because it should have been better by now. Right. (laughs) You know, and I'm like, I did an afterthought. I know. And I'm like, could you at least, I mean, even just bring me in the day of release. I mean, I would, of course, love to be brought away before that. But even that would be better than a month later. I'm like, do you know how hard it is a month later, right? Like how much work, extra work we have and how much the family has gone through and how much trauma and how much difficulty and everything else as opposed to making things easier. We've made it nothing but harder for them. Yeah. And I think a part of the argument is like, oh, it's it's very financially taxing to do all of the prep work and the post work. 
And I find it the opposite because if I'm able to come in, like let's say that I've had a provider, you know, refer me to a family for their, they basically went to the provider first and the provider was like, well, well educated, like, no, you need to go somewhere else first. You need to go mm-hmm. to your quarterback and then, then we'll make a plan. And so I'll have that family. And then, you know, their expectation is, is that we're setting up to do a phrenectomy. And I wiped that. I completely wiped that off the board. I let them know, like, I'm not here to like prep for a phrenectomy. I'm here to do a full eval. Like, we want to look at how you're feeling. How's the baby been? How's the feeding going? Like, how are reflexes looking? Like, how are we doing in the entire piece of the picture and not just like the corner or the frame. Mm-hmm. I want to see everything. And what's funny is that I find with my work is that I usually end up starting with the baby and then we go to the older child who like had things that, you know, maybe they had a different experience or they were like quickly released or, you know, they had things remaining. And then I always end with the parents. So as as in like a full family wellness. And at that point, maybe even two to three sessions in then if we feel like oral function is still being inhibited, then we can talk about doing a release or we can talk about what the family as a unit feel like they're they're in the place to do. Because I feel like when we start taking the decision away from the parents and being able to understand where they are all together, we are we're still doing this checklist and even, even good providers can get into that trap of like, well, we've done all this. So now like our, you know, natural next step is to go here, but that's not really your choice. Like you need to be able to let them have, have the pen and write the plan and being able to be the supportive person that can give them the options and the, the information to make an informed consent is really where I feel like IBCLCs shine because we are not in that, always in that mind place of, this is my, you know, my list of things that I need to get done. And then we can move on from there. I feel like most IBCLCs who are, who are maybe not so like medically managed have more of a supportive outlook and want to know more about how the diet themselves are than just going through and saying, this is what we need to do to be able to get to here. Or this is, you know, all the check marks that we need to make to be able to send for the phrenectomy. Right. I mean, I think it, any good client relationship starts with asking, you know, what are your goals? Why are we here today? What what do you want help with? Because it doesn't matter if I look at the dyad and I can see we've got this compensation or that lack of function or whatever. That really is not important. What's important is why are they here? Why do they come to me? What's going on and how can I help them? Where do they want to go with it? Right? Because everyone has different goals and it's not about what I want to see happen. You know, I have clients that choose not to release because they feel that they get to a point of ease, that it's, you know, we've done, you know, maybe oral exercises, rhythmic movements, body work. We get to a point where they feel like feeding is easy now and it all that work and that pain is gone, baby is gaining and they choose not to release. Sometimes there are those that I look at and I think, I still think, you know, I would still recommend a release, but they still choose not to. And then we talk about what to, you know, what to watch for things that can, but don't always happen. Right. Um, right. But it should always be the parent's choice. And the thing about body work being expensive, and I will say it really can be. I've been getting a lot of body work in the last two weeks. It really can be. And I think everyone in my family just about that body work in the last week. So, yep, it adds up. But I think it's really important 
to not be gatekeeping information. I never want to decide what a family can or has the ability to do or should do. That is not my right. So I'm not going to deny them the information and not tell them that this would be beneficial and help them because I think they can't afford it. That is absolutely not my right. It is not okay. And I really don't know what their situation is. Maybe they have someone they could ask. Maybe they have money in savings. Maybe they don't. Maybe they can't do it. Maybe they can, but it is really not my choice. And I really don't want to be involved in that, like that financial decision that is somebody else's place that is not mine, that is their space. And I just feel very passionate that we should not be gatekeeping information, that for them to have informed consent for medical care, they need to have all the information and it is theirs to choose what to do with, not my decision. Absolutely. I mean, anticipatory guidance is such a nice tool to have because there's not this emergency or this anxiety of making a decision right now. I think that's probably my biggest support piece is that everyone worries, well, it's not done like so, so quickly, like I'm expecting it to be what is, you know, the outcome and having that conversation to be able to bring everything back to a baseline of of peace and a non-fear-based decision is incredibly important to like not only their well-being but your relationship together because it's it's a trusting it's a trusting thing to do is just sit there and have a conversation of like how do we bring this back to where you can make a decision that is not based on what someone else told you or made you afraid of or fear yeah absolutely because fear does come into it they're they're scared they want the best for their baby a lot of times they're in pain or baby's not gaining. And so they've been told this is this is what's wrong. It's an emergency. We do this and it'll fix it, which is unfortunately almost always very incorrect, right? Yeah. Very rarely do I see a baby that is not gaining or mom's nipples are bleeding and a, and a quick release got them any relief at all. Like it, it's not going to do it. You know, it's most likely they might get a day where it slightly improves and then it gets worse, but it usually will get worse. Yeah. And I tell always like such a thing to watch is so, so disheartening for them that there's like a few days of relief and then all of a sudden like things start to backtrack and then the provider's like, well, you know, it looks fine. So yeah, my, my heart is done. Right. I tell parents all the time too, if your baby isn't gaining, the last thing they need is the stress of a surgery. Like, no, no. You know, there's, I have bare, I'm a, middle of the road person. I try not to have a ton of absolutes, but I, I do have a couple of absolutes for tongue tie stuff. And even with the, yes, I would love every baby to get prepped. I, I would love for all release providers to stop taking people off Google and just releasing them. But in the meantime, I'd say at the very minimum, babies that aren't gaining, babies that have any sign of a head preference or torticollis or babies that are in this hyper stress state and the parents report that they're crying a lot, whether or not they're calling it colic or not, that they're fussy, that they're difficult to soothe. These babies, the last thing they need is a release. Like if they're in this stress state or they're not gaining, it's going to go really poorly and most likely worse before it gets better. And when they're when they have like an asymmetry to their body, when they have a torticollis or a head preference or all the things you see during body work, it's a real big issue. They do not get an even release and they usually do not get a good result because you can't, how can you adequately, evenly and symmetrically release that tissue when it's being pulled differently on each side? Yeah. And I feel like it's been educated to be the opposite. Like if 
if torticollis is present, there's like oral restrictions that should be released to resolve the torticollis. And at some point in time, like that just became completely incorrect because for you to have a balanced body, a release is not going to offer you that. It's literally a, a tiny bit of tissue that can can have an absolutely like cascade of effects, no doubt. But the amount of, of tension pulling there becomes minuscule when we think about the power of the rest of our structure and hyper-focusing on the oral tissues instead of the entire body is such a disservice. So, I mean, when you think about body work and you think about why is this important or why is this pivotal to me going to get a release is that you have so many other muscles that add into the job of sucking and swallowing and breathing all together. And to be able to just skip that piece of it and only focus on those, those little bits of tissue, those little bits of frena is where you get into the point of you may see like some small benefit, but the big, you know, big benefit that you could have gotten was missed because everything that was already present in the body that needed attention is still there. And, you know, as far as like all of the different modalities that body work, I, I personally do not find that CST, which is, you know, cranial sacral therapy, mm -hmm. which is very much like a cervical work. Um, and it's very gentle work. It, it's more about encouraging your own, like your own movement and your own fluid to like get into a, a healthier place. I do not find that to be adequate enough to actually relax those deeper and tighter muscles that need attention. I mean, it's very specific work. The work that I do, I work on such a specific scale, going to each origin attachment of each muscle that I know plays a part in being able to, you know, chew, to swallow, to have a, a balanced structure through the spine, to be able to have good hip strength and, and really support your midline. Because I think that's something that we see a lot is core weakness. And everything always gets blamed on, okay, well, the core is not strong enough to like manage the midline. And the entirety of the back and the hips is actually what stabilizes your core. So again, when we look at like CST, CFT, like everything is about movement and trying to then open up the body. But there are many, many times where your body needs to be given a baseline. Uh, and what a baseline means is is having those specific muscle groups and and that specific structure able to relax and then it can start to take care of itself because in my my long-term goal is to never manage someone's body for them their body is built to manage itself and there are many times where being able to have someone skilled come in and give you that baseline so that your body then can get on board and manage itself that's the only way that i have found most of my pre and post phrenectomy work to be absolutely solid. And and that's, that's, again, that's so confusing for parents because they're like, well, I was told like CST is what I need to go do or CFT. And all of those modalities have a place and they are best chosen by the provider who is comfortable with doing many different modalities that will fit your needs, whether it be for an infant or a toddler or an adult teenager, whatever, a provider who is comfortable with looking at anatomy and physiology and knowing what your structure is asking for is what is most important, not the modality. Right. And I always say to clients, most important 
you know, the best provider is the most experienced and knowledgeable pediatric provider we can find near you, regardless of what method. They might be an osteopath, they might be a rolfer, they might be a myofascial release or chiropractor, all these different things. It, that doesn't matter to me as much as just finding the, you know, who's the best with babies in this area, because all areas have different, like we've said, concentrations of different groups of people. Some areas are really rich with myofascial and some you won't find any myofascial, but you'll find, you know, four different pediatric chiropractors who are great. So you do have to work with what you have in that area. I don't think it's ever a best case scenario where you have equally experienced providers of all modalities. You know, that's just that the likelihood of that ever happening is really small. So you just you work with what you have and then you go from there. But I will say my understanding and appreciation for myofascial and the John, John Barnes method has so completely changed after having it. And now I think that I should, I'm like, I am going to become a bodywork junkie. I'm like, I think I should try all of the different modalities just so <laughs> that I can understand them and compare them for the parents. Um, not at all, just because I like it. But it was really eye-opening. Like the fact that the release therapist could pinpoint spots in my body that I didn't know existed <laughs> Here, I had such strain and tension and she's using such a little amount of force, like very gentle pressure. Like when she was releasing my pterygoids and intraoral work, I was like, she's not even pressing hard. And it felt like I had this huge starburst in there. Like I could practically visualize like a sun coming off my pterygoids and it was so tight. And it was like, but after she was done, I was like, oh my God, I can open my jaw better and it doesn't hurt. And I had been having a, a clenching issue for like, I don't know, I say two to three weeks, but it was probably more than a month. And I had had a constant headache before I started body work. And I kind of knew we were doing a bunch of travel and I just couldn't find anyone because we weren't staying in one place long enough. And I had these appointments booked, but I didn't think it would do as much as it did. The first appointment, I was just floored and I stopped clenching that night and I didn't have a headache the next day and my jaw has felt so much better and you know when I went and had the release my my dentist Dr. Maggie Davis in in the Tampa Bay area she's in Palm Harbor she was saying that to the work that I had done with the myofunctional and to my myofascial therapist she's like I did such good work that she could see the anatomy perfectly She's like, it looks yes. so much different than the picture I had sent her three months before. And she's like, this looks awesome. I can see everything. And that's for a release. That's kind of our ideal. I mean, I like you, I think I always go into it kind of saying, well, we don't know that we're necessarily going to need a release. Let's start doing the work and doing all the things and then we'll see. But in my case, you know, being an adult and knowing where I had come from, I pretty much was headed to a release. So I knew I was prepping for that, but it was still so wonderful to be able to make that progress and see changes even before the release happened. Yeah. And I think that's important to to reach what I call like a plateau of being able to, you know, free up structure that absolutely needed to be done beforehand. And when you hit that plateau, then you're able to be able to, you know, see how much more you can benefit from the release itself, which is really helpful to know like, okay, it wasn't just this, that that had other things that needed attention to. Yeah, that's what I always tell parents too, is that when we start working together, we should start improving. Things should start getting better. And when we hit a plateau, you know, typically speaking with infants, it might be for me, I'd say roughly that two to four week range, but everyone can be in a, a different 
you know, there's some babies that it happens really fast and other babies, we just keep progressing, but slow, you know, so it, it can depend. But once we hit that plateau, that's where we reevaluate again and say, okay, are we at a good place? Do we want to pause here? Do we want to completely stop? I've had some clients will do a pause for two weeks, not do any more, any more therapy, just kind of wait and see. And if they slide back, they know that what they had gained, they were just kind of hanging on to, right? And yep. if, if they don't, if they stay where they were, then a lot of times that in itself is enough to show the parents, hey, we worked hard, we did this work, we gained this function, and now we're at this point where it's staying. Well, then great. Then maybe we don't need a release. You know, I, I think it's important. People really seem to have this idea that when we talk about waiting for release, or doing all this pre-therapy that we're just hanging out. We're not getting better. And I'm like, no, they, they're progressing faster. Honestly, I see patients progress faster before the release than they do after. Yeah. And the prepped ones. Like, yes. there's always a little bit of a backslide. And then like post-release is more of like a long game. Like, I feel yeah. like you play the short game in pre-work. Like, you're just, yeah. you're immediately getting things done and you're seeing the reflection of that. And then post-release is the long game. Like, you're kind of resorting having some new muscle memory plugs in like over months of, of like small changes versus like that really rapid improvement that happens in the, the pre-work. Exactly. I mean, I think with the phrenectomy as well, you do also kind of slide back a little. It is a little bit, you know, it's stressful. It's traumatic. When things are stressful and traumatic, a lot of times we revert to what we know, right? And so, and not just the baby, but the parents too, right? They may have been doing this new wonderful position that allows for postural stability, a deeper self-guided reflex of latch and all this stuff for weeks. But they get home with the baby after release and the baby's crying and they can't remember anything. And so they just grab the breastfeeding pillow and sit down and go back to what they know. So it's not it's not just the baby. Sometimes the parents kind of backslide too because it's traumatic. It's stressful. It's, you know, it's really hard to see your baby in pain or to be worried that they're in pain. And that's a lot for these new families to go through. Yeah. And that calls back to us talking about making sure that the family as a unit is prepared for this. Because in in life, if we're having a lot of changes and fight or flight is already somewhere that they live, you cannot add in another stressful situation and expect it to be productive or beneficial for anyone. Right. And I feel like that's unfortunately where so many of these families are. So many of them are struggling for weeks or months on their own. And then whether it's that they can't find support in their area or they're not being heard, you know, and it's it's not there's plenty of of blame to go around. It is not just on pediatricians. I have clients who have seen three IBCLCs before coming to me and been told that there was no tongue tie or, you know, to just keep weighing the baby after feeds and see and it'll get better. So it, it, there's plenty to go around, but these families are not supported. And then they go into release after, you know, three months of exhaustion and stress and pain. And yeah, it's not surprising that it doesn't turn out well right away. So important for good support. I know. I know. I know you had just briefly touched on the fact that you're a massage therapist before becoming an IBCLC, right? But how does that, do you, when you go to a visit now, are you doing body work routinely with everybody or is it a depend on, you know, is it something that you offer as an add-on or do you 
just wait and see if they need it? Like, how does how does that play a part into your your regular visit practice? So when we traveled, I absolutely did everything in the evaluation altogether because there was no way that I would be able to show up for a lactation visit and not do the you know the mm-hmm. the hands on work that needed to be done. So I just have my time and my prices set to be able to do everything at once. And it was especially important when we were traveling because at that point, when you're already going two hours to see someone, you want their time to be valued and you want your time to be valued and be able to make progress in a productive way. So I I just had one service that it, it entailed everything. Now that we are stationary um, in Atlanta, I do two separate services and I will do structural integration by itself, which just has follow-up in between. And then I do like a full eval like I did before where I'll do lactation, overall wellness, and the bodywork in one. So it's a little split differently now than it was traveling, but it's still very similar where if I feel like I feel like anything else is needed, like I will definitely let them know. And I would tell you, like, at this point, I see so many different ages. I see anywhere from infants to adults that it was, you know, it was, it was impossible for me to just stay in that one place where I did everything in one visit. Now it's so much more comfortable for me to be able to do just a, a bodywork session and to have, you know, the lactation and bodywork set. So I think that when traveling, it was, it was definitely just an all-in-one deal. And now I've gotten some more flexibility being stationary again. Okay. See, what do you, when you say um, maternal wellness and health coaching, what do you mean? Like, what is your focus and training in that range? So I went through Duke Integrative Medicine's health coaching because I wanted to be able to be more supportive in goal setting and just interracial motive, like interviewing motivationally to be able to allow the parents to have more more say and more structure. And I mean, overall, just being able to understand where they're coming from without putting my own personal bias in the conversation. And it was wonderful because it gave me a lot of structure on, you know, not only just like asking good questions, but being able to really be just a bystander instead of like the ringleader. They were they were in charge of making sure that they knew what they wanted to do and that they were able to then make goals set on what was realistic for them at the time and then making progress together as a unit. So I do I do wrap that in with my services. It's not something that I charge extra for. It's just a benefit that I have as being a health coach to know how to be able to support them in their goal setting and making progress together. And then I will do um, just lifestyle recommendations. I send a lot of information post-visit. So that way they have like continuing, continuing things that they can look through and, and kind of decide what resonates with them and what doesn't. Right. I think that's awesome. I think that there's definitely so much more the focus that we need to bring to for maternal wellness. I think, you know, clients come to me, obviously, because same as you probably, for the most part, they're struggling with breastfeeding, right? And, and we're pumping. Occasionally, I'll get a purely bottle-fed console. But for the most part, they're struggling with infant feeding somewhere. And yet when I see the moms, so many of the moms are struggling in their own health and some of them realize it and are pushing it aside because they have a new baby and some of them don't even realize it. They know that there's something going on, but they're, it's like they're not focusing on it, you know, and they're like, well, this is just how it always has been. And isn't this how they're told that everybody? too? Right. Yeah. prenatally, like they're told like yeah. you're, you're going to be tired. You're going to be like having you're going to gain weight that you're not going to lose. 
Mm-hmm. There's no 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 pre- preparation in a prenatal visit on like what actual like good nutrition looks like or what to expect postpartum that may or may not be normal. And I, I that genuinely is something that I work with every parent with, and I, I always bring both parents in in the, each scenario because the support factor is usually where we have like a deficiency. And now obviously like when it's a single parent, like you are more of like their support person, which is a good dynamic to have. And then if you have the other parent, that needs to be more of their support person. Because then again, like you're keeping it, keeping it self, keeping it where they can be, I guess, more dependent upon each other to keep each other in a team aspect versus someone else leading the charge there. So I do a lot of conversation with them on like their health history, how they're feeling, things that they, you know, notice that are unusual or mood swings, you know, PPD. We talk a lot about PPD because I feel like as nutrient deficient as most people are now, especially moms, like it's almost a given that at some point they're going to experience it and they should know how to look mm-hmm. for those signs and symptoms ahead of time and not worry that they're just tired and overburdened and, and something's wrong. Yeah. I mean, the nutrient deficiency is pretty much a given, I feel like now at this point in our country. And the nutritional knowledge in the medical community is grossly lacking. Uh, I think that's why Instagram is so, so much a provider of information now, because there's all of these parents on there and families on there that have experienced the lack of care and the nutrient deficiencies, and they've done something about it. They've figured out what's helpful for them. And so many people have just like caught on to, there's so much more information than what I was given. And it's just filled the, the gap that other providers have not. Absolutely. I mean, I've had chronic health issues for years since my second pregnancy and chronic pain. And one, I mean, I can't tell you how many doctors that, you know, I've seen and talked to about this and asked about different options and all these different things. And no one ever, even when I asked, no one ever said that nutrition would make a difference in the last, well, it's been almost two years now. I've been doing all of my own stuff between you know, going on AIP and doing food sensitivity testing and, you know, working with a dietitian, just doing a million things and a lot of trial and error and a lot of reading and learning and understanding how my body reacts and what it's trying to tell me. And I've drastically changed my body's health and my pain and where my body is at. Like, that's why I actually didn't have my release in April was when I had my first myofascial appointment. I had a huge pain flare. And my body was in such an inflammatory state, I couldn't even handle the release, the, the myofascial release, much less the tongue release. And so we didn't. We postponed. And I spent eight months working to get my body out of an inflammatory state. And I finally got to a better point with, you know, nutrition. But it's like when I, you know, mentioned something to my doctor, they're like, oh, yeah, that food won't really make a difference in your pain. I was like, made a pretty big difference. They're like, no, that's just, you know, luck, the way things are going right now. I'm like, Okay, sure. Yes. <laughs> and like yeah. the lack of nutrition knowledge in the medical community is pretty astounding. It's pretty astounding at times. So yeah, I think that so many of our clients that we see are at a, and they're in a really unique period in their life when they're so open and receptive. So many of the parents we see are, you know, whether they're wanting to lead a healthier life to be an example for their child or to think about the long term for themselves. Are they going to be around to play with their child? Right. So they're 
a lot of times they're in that reflective state of, I really want to be healthy. I want to feel good. I want to be able to enjoy life with my baby. And so it's a, it's a really good time for us to come in and, and to bring in that knowledge and that, you know, that coaching and that kind of help them learn and develop all of that for them to have better health, you know, and that's what, that's the bottom of the lactation pyramid. I mean, that's what we want is maternal wellness. Yep. And I mean, self-awareness is one of the best gifts that you can give yourself because learning more about who you are and what you need as an individual is the best medicine. I mean, I, I can tell you that the tide is certainly changing to where people want that information, whereas before it was more of a trust in your provider to give it to you. And it's just become that it's become understood that that just really doesn't happen. And to their credit, like they have, you know, a rough 10 minutes to spend with another person. And that's just that's more of a problem of our healthcare industry as an overall. But to have something not given to you that's vital for you to be able to get better. I mean, it's just it's something that should never be not given because of a lack of time. And I mean, people now just realize, like, I want to know because I don't want to depend on anyone else to not tell me. Right. And I think that's where we're getting. You're right. The previous generations were very much. I mean, my my mom was having a health issue and I tried to point out that the endocrinologist might not you know, know this and we could bring this up. And she was like, no, no, they're the doctor. They know. And I was like, well, do they really? <laughs> but I feel like a lot more people now are kind of in that, like you said, they're like, I don't want to depend upon somebody else. And I always tell people, you don't have to be the expert on nutrition. You don't have to be the expert on pediatrics or obstetrics or something else to, to be a parent. You need to be the expert on you. And anyone who's on your team needs to recognize that you are the expert on you. And right now, you're the expert on your baby too. And that's all you need to do is observe and you know, test and go with curiosity and learn and figure out what works for your body. You don't have to know all of it for everybody. And then you just have to learn how to take care of you. But previously, we haven't really been empowered that way. No, I think that's too why we see health coaching becoming such a big thing is because health coaching is just about encouraging curiosity. It's such a good word is is encouraging someone to be curious about a, a part of them that they are not sure of and how to learn more about it. And I mean, I think food is such a crux because we come into this place of like, oh, well, what diet should I be doing or what should I be eating? And there's there's no answer. There's mm -hmm. just what works for you at the place that you're in and what your body needs at that moment. And I mean, it constantly changes. That's why diets never work because your body is constantly changing to need something else. If you're giving it an excess of one thing, it probably needs an excess of something else. And I think I think it, it's so cool that we're learning more about intuitive eating and that even, you know, dietitians are becoming so much more well-rounded and not just going off of, you know, their schooling and they're looking more into like what functional eating as intuitive eating. And I love that direction because it kind of wraps back into the the process of being a more supportive or coaching player than it is like trying to lead someone that should be leading themselves. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we... The model of the doctor and the patient is very much the authoritarian, authoritative view of like, I'm in charge. I tell you what to do. Now you go do it versus that health coaching. I'm going to empower you with information and you get to write the path. You get to to go where you want to with it. Maybe you go yeah. somewhere today. Maybe you save it for next month. 
or next year, you know, but you have this information and it's yours to do with what you will. Right. And I think that's hugely empowering. And that I did very relieving to like me as a business owner too, is that I'm not responsible for anyone's outcome. I'm responsible to do my job to the best of my ability and make sure that my families are in a place to make an informed decision that fits where they are and where they want to go. Like that is such a relief to me to not be the one calling all the shots because again, a, a mother's intuition is so incredible and things that I may not realize or understand that she already knows. I mean, mm-hmm. that that's that's completely the biggest point of saying like you are the expert on yourself and you are the expert on your baby. Oh, yeah. I don't want to make anyone else's decisions. I always tell clients I have enough trouble with my own and my own family. <laughs> like It's hard enough to make these when they're affecting you and you know everything about you. So I'm never going to make anybody else's decision. They're going to do what is right for them. And I always tell clients because there's a lot of, you know, when I meet someone who has already had the release unsupported and then they find out that it would have gone different if they had done, you know, X, Y, Z, and now they're starting over there is a lot of guilt or blame that happens. And I always remind parents they did the absolute best they could with the information they had at hand. And that applies to all of us. I mean, my practice is very different than it was three years ago. I am a huge believer in continuing education and I take a lot of courses and it's very much my focus to, honestly, that's my goal is to have my practice different in another two years so that I want to know more information. I want to have more skills and not that I'm going to be different, a different provider, but that I want to have more information. Yeah, that's that's my goal. Like, I want to be changing every year. And, you know, it's I look back and think, oh, if only I had known this for this client three years ago. And it's true. And it sucks. And I wish that I did and couldn't go back and change things. But at the same point in time, all you can do is go forward and gain the knowledge that you think is beneficial for where you are and go with it. Right. I mean, we can't we can't go backwards. So we just have to go forward with what we have and do the best decision making you can do at the time. Yes, evolution is progress and it should be what is encouraged. Definitely don't look back. I mean, I think at some point we all just have to accept that we learn because we have to learn by mistakes or or not knowing enough. And it gives us the drive to do better. I mean, parents too, like I have so many that are like, well, I wish I wouldn't have swaddled or I wish I wouldn't have done this. It's okay. You can always go forward and you can always change. Oh, I have so many of those. I tell them that's just parenting. We all have so many of those. There there are things that I wish I hadn't done with my kids. You know, it's, there's just, that's learning and life. There's nothing we can do about it. And there will always be those. There will always be those things that you look back and you're like, if only I had done this back then. Right? Agreed. Agreed. Well, I, Thank you so much for your time today, Mikhail. I think that everything you're doing is so wonderful. I love to see the beautiful merge of, you know, the hands-on manual therapy with lactation and that support for the whole family and the way that you were able to give it. And I think it's just such a beautiful marriage. I just love, I love that for your practice and I'm going to enjoy watching and seeing what happens with it as you settle into your area again. Thank you. Such a lovely time getting to talk. And Katie, please, I I love the fact that you're traveling like full time. So (laughs) we we traveled, but we did not travel full time. We took breaks and you're you're making such a change in your own way. So awesome. Thank you. It was great to talk today. Yes. Thank you so much. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change you. 
I hope that you enjoyed the podcast today and learned something new. If you know someone who would benefit from this podcast, please share.